Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today, I'm joined by Rebecca Kirstein Resch. She is the founder and CEO of a very interesting company called Inkly. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thanks for having so, me. So, Rebecca, right off the top, before we get into what it is that you are doing with your business, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on what are three things every entrepreneur needs to know, because I know you are a lifetime entrepreneur, so... I love it when I can dig in deep into these questions with people who've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I've been doing this for a long time, probably longer than anyone should. <laughs> so I definitely have a lot to a lot to share on this topic. Um, it was actually a mentor of mine um, who kind of coined the phrase, you are the work, um, and said that to me at one point. And it really, really stuck with me um, and has always stuck with me um, that you know, constantly learning, self-reflection, looking at ways to improve yourself um, ultimately always improves your own leadership and and the company. And it's a lot of work, right? Um, everything from, you know, personal work, like counseling and <laughs> those kinds of things, um, but like reading and learning and practicing and trying new things in your company and trying new ways of, of doing business and new ways of working together. All those kinds of things um, really apply to you are the work. And uh, and I that's really, really stuck with me. And I share it a lot with other entrepreneurs because I just be I believe that's true. And the more of that work I do myself, um, the better I am at being a leader, the better I am at working with teams, um, and ultimately, the better I, I am. I love that one. Yeah, that's a really cool one. Okay, <laughs> so what would yeah. be another one? That one. Um, this one is, uh, you know, kind of been been rolling around in my head for a while. But one of the things that I um, talk a lot about with young people, um, because it certainly was my experience when I was young, um, I really believed that at some point, the fear and the uncertainty and the constant work that we have to do as human beings would somehow material just magically disappear <laughs> at one point, I would look the right way, or yeah. I would have enough money, or I would have the right job, or whatever it would be. And it would just like, those people over there, they got it together, they got it figured out. And that and they don't feel that fear and uncertainty and constant work. That is BS. <laughs> and you get to a certain age where you're like, Oh, crap, this never ends. <laughs> this just keeps going and going and going. And I think there's a certain peacefulness in um, the awareness and understanding and just getting comfortable mm. with being uncomfortable because you will always be um, learning and growing and changing and it's always going to be uncomfortable and it's always going to be scary. And there's always going to be a high degree of uncertainty. And I think the more you step into leadership, the more uncertainty there is and therefore the more fear and discomfort and just being comfortable with that in and of yeah, itself. Yeah, I think that is such a great tip. And so I don't know, do you suffer from imposter syndrome from time to time as well? Because Oh my God, yeah. I don't even get me started on, on imposter syndrome because I think it is, I almost think we've like really mislabeled that because I think that is yeah. the human experience of I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Who the heck am I? We all feel that way. And anybody who tells you yeah. they don't yeah. is a big I 100% agree as well. Right. <laughs> and it, it is one of those things until you've talked yeah. to other people about it, you, you don't realize it. You don't realize that other people are feeling the exact same way. And I think it's like you said, it's the human condition because there's so much that we don't know. I mean, no matter how much knowledge we have as individuals, it's just a fraction of what is out there, especially in, a, in the information age that we live within, right? And so it's so easy to feel like, oh, I just don't know enough. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I feel that way every day. And I think every human being does. And I think the best, the biggest disservice we do, particularly young people, but to all of us, to, to ourselves, is to act like that isn't true. And to not talk about that openly on a regular basis. Like I'm constantly, like we have many, many younger team members um, in our organization. And that's the thing I talk about the most is like, hey, guys, I don't know the answers, like help me out here. Because we, none of us do. And I think the best thing you can do as a as a leader in any capacity is yeah. to acknowledge that and to be vulnerable in that yourself to set the example for others that it's okay to not have all the answers. In fact, asking better questions is the yeah, real sign. Yeah, yeah, completely. And actually, that uh, just reminds me of, you know, like we talk to our uh, about hiring people we talk about how we should always be hiring people who are smarter than us right that that should be the goal oh, yeah. and so we talk really openly about that which automatically means that you're going to surround yourself with people who are potentially, you know, smarter than you or who have maybe more knowledge in particular yeah. areas than what you have, uh, even though you might be the one running the company. Um, and so obviously in that scenario, yeah. if you do a good job of that particular task of hiring the, those types of people, well, then you're always going to definitely feel like you don't know everything and you're an imposter for sure. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And that's, and that's yeah. exactly it. Right. Is the, the, um, the the less the the more you surround yourself with people that that you believe are smarter than you i mean that's ultimately what makes you smart that's the only thing that yeah. makes me good at my job is that i am excellent at finding people way smarter than me to solve problems that i have no idea yeah, how to yeah. solve on my own um, and that's ultimately what great leadership yeah. is in my opinion is really enabling yeah. the leadership well said okay so number 3 Number three. Well, I think I kind of touched on this and, and number three for me is really mm. questions are the answer. Um, that one comes up a lot for, for us around here. I mean, we've built an entire company based on questioning, so we're a little biased, but, um, I really believe that. I believe that questions are the answer. It doesn't matter whether it's a disagreement with your spouse or your child or a conversation at work or a difficult conversation. Being open, being curious, asking great questions. Um, is always a better way to approach a challenge um, than being assertive or be, you know, having all the answers or telling everyone what to do. And so I really, I really strongly believe that the more we can cultivate curiosity and better questioning in all of our relationships at work or anywhere else, um, I think that just makes us better leaders and ultimately awesome. builds better. Yeah, leaders. that's really great. Okay. So tell me then, what is it that Inkly does? What uh, problems are you solving over there? with your company? Yeah, well, Inkly is an inclusive knowledge sharing platform. And and really, um, what we do is enable the connection of people who might not otherwise connect. And so through the very act of asking questions, um, so a lot of people compare us to like Quora and Reddit and, and yeah. other tools like that. What's different about Inkly is that it's very much these like curated communities, whether it's inside an organization um, or an entire innovation ecosystem across the province of Alberta, which we have a, um, uh, our product running in right now, um, a pilot that is just um, expanding across the province, whether it's that kind of scenario or the internal use case of our technology, it's all about asking questions um, in order to make connections to people who have very diverse perspectives on the questions you have, whether it's navigating an innovation ecosystem or solving a problem at work, um, or ultimately a student looking to connect 
connect to somebody who has more experience and knowledge than they do um, in a field uh, of interest or study. Um, those connections are really what we're all about. And um, AI-based matching is uh, is ultimately the technology that's that's um, under the hood. Uh, but it's really okay. So connection. so walk me through this a little bit more. So I like um, and I want to use amplify your business and what we're trying to do with it as a bit of a, I guess, the use case. And so um, the the impetus behind yeah. this uh, show that we've created here is trying to build a community of entrepreneurs who are there to kind of support entrepreneurs, right? And so I talk to entrepreneurs like you, you share with me some, uh, some tips or some advice that you've picked up or gleaned along your journey as an entrepreneur, or maybe you've had, you know, some challenges along the way and you talk a little bit about how you overcame those and that maybe inspires or informs another entrepreneur to be able to avoid that. And it's about that sharing of the knowledge and, and allowing Allowing that community to kind of foster. And my, my longer term vision mm -hmm. is I'm hoping that at some point we can really have a more uh, multi-way conversations as opposed to just me doing an interview with you that we can build a bit of a community where the other entrepreneurs, which are part of the ecosystem, can support each other in some form or another. Right now, it's kind of happening organically through LinkedIn because most people at the end of the show uh, will give their LinkedIn credentials and say, hey, like anybody out there who wants to connect, connect and we'll have conversations. And so it's happening, but just not with intention, I suppose you could say, and definitely not organized. So mm -hmm. how would Inkly yeah. support something like that? Uh, the, the, the larger vision, I guess. Great question. Yeah, absolutely. That's very much what Inkly is designed for. So for example, if you had, you know, a community of hundreds or thousands of people that were all entrepreneurs and interested in sharing ideas in that way, um, you would use Inkly's platform. We have mobile apps, we have web um, technology as well. You can integrate our technology into Slack and other, other tools that you use um, in your workplace. Um, or in larger um, ecosystem kind of dynamic, um, essentially the way Inkly works is you have a question and yeah. you don't know who to ask. You're a new entrepreneur um, and you have a question about, you know, everything from like the more emotional side of being an entrepreneur, um, you know, the technical details of like, where do I get funding and, you know, all these different kinds of questions. You ask your question and it gets matched to um, individuals across the ecosystem with very diverse perspectives. So the same question could be matched to people in totally different industries. Um, and so it's based on their skills, their interests and their their purpose, their own values. Um, and th that matching happens um, very quickly mm -hmm. and instantaneously to multiple people. They can provide their perspective, but more importantly, Everyone can see that. That's mm. very public in the community. So the next time I go and ask another question that's even tangentially related through semantic search, that will just pop up for me of, oh, th this question's already been asked and these replies have already been received on this particular question. This may help you. If it doesn't, you can go and ask your own question. What often happens is that the questions of others actually spurred yeah. a whole different line of questioning for people. So the social learning context of sharing knowledge in that way is really what we're um, all about is that it isn't just about asking a question. You, you often don't know who to ask and being able to discover the knowledge of others in that way. I love it because so this the way it's different than, say, something for like uh, Cora is that 
um, you know, there's might be a subgroup of people who are following a particular topic or something who might then see my question and answer that. But what you guys are doing yeah. with Inkly is that you're actually actively um, and intentionally matching then people to that question who might be able to respond to it directly then. And so it's not, not as much as it going exactly. out to everybody. Uh, the answers are to everybody, yeah. but the question is getting posed to very specific people then. Is that correct? That is well, definitely correct. Um, and it's, and it's continually being matched um, over time until such time as the asker is, is done with that particular line of inquiry and, and start, and you can have, you know, multiple questions running at any given time. Um, but the key is, is that you may ask a question in a forum on, on Reddit that's specifically for this topic. Whereas with Inkly, you just ask the question and we do the work of matching it to people who you'd never otherwise connect with and may not even know exist, let alone know their expertise and their knowledge. Um, and so it's about more than just garnering their, their knowledge, the tacit knowledge that's in their heads. It's also about like yeah. making those connections of, wow, now I know Lance and I had no idea Lance was passionate about this thing that I am too. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. It's, it's very much matchmaking <laughs> as well. Right. So that's, that's really interesting. Huh. So it's it's kind of like if you had Quora and Reddit and uh and, and and maybe Tinder all but not not the dating side of it, but yeah. but if they were to all have a baby, it's gonna be Inkly in a way, right? That's, yeah. That's what it's like. Yeah. If Quora, Reddit, LinkedIn, and Tinder yeah, had a baby, yeah, yeah. it'd be okay. Inkly. Love it. A technology orgy. <laughs> yeah. no? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> going sideways quick <laughs> okay so so that's fascinating really interesting now you were telling me that uh you started this business on february 7th of 2020 so just so everybody remembers this is like right right before the lockdown a month before the lockdown occurred basically um and uh and covid yeah. hit and so what kind of impact did that have on your business good or bad um either way yeah, a bit of both. Uh, remember that comment I made about yep. fear, uncertainty, yeah. and constant work? Um, it created a lot of that. <laughs> and, and it was really, I mean, we launched the, we launched on February 7th. Um, we promptly packed up our office, had to lay yeah. off people, went home March 16th because the world changed dramatically and that was not getting better quickly. Um, and so in many ways, yeah, it was very difficult. It was very difficult to raise capital. You know, I had planned to be on a plane all that year, you know, meeting with investors and raising capital. And that's not what happened. And instead, we went um, down like a non-dilutive funding route. You know, my husband kept his job and we kept, you know, sort of plugging away. Um, but what it also did is exposed, as everyone is aware of now, the massive cracks in all of our systems yeah. that were already there. And so our technology was designed to address many of those cracks and many of those systemic issues when it comes to equity mm -hmm. of access to connections and resources and knowledge. Um, so in many ways that did us a favor because the thing we were kind of like running all over town telling people, no, no, listen, this is important. You got to realize that volunteerism needs to be virtual and knowledge sharing needs to be virtual. Um, and the pandemic really made that easy for us because everyone went, oh, yeah. crap, you're right. <laughs> this really needs to be virtual. So in many ways, it did us a favor and it caused all kinds of challenges, which I think is probably true for many of us during the pandemic, particularly entrepreneurs. 
Um, there was lots of, you know, golden eggs there, but there was also a lot of a lot of loss and grief um, and um, transformation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it was quite an emotional roller coaster as a business owner, like you said, when you're packing up the office and sending people home, not knowing whether or not yep. the business is going to be able to survive, uh, you know, whatever duration it was going to be. And then all of a sudden you, you're totally. presented with all this market demand that is created for this virtual need that you guys were, uh, I, you know, ideally positioned or creating anyway, right? And so then it just kind of forced everybody's hand in a way to to really turn to those virtual solutions. And there you are. Uh, so, yeah. There we are many years later. And I think it also, it really made it difficult um, yeah. to raise funds. Yeah. And in the beginning, we're building this technology that like nobody really quite understood what we were building until mm. it was built. And that's one of the biggest challenges, like, you know, doing something new and, and innovative like this is that people don't necessarily know what they need or what they want. Um, they don't necessarily understand it. Um, they understand the problem you're trying to solve, but sometimes you don't even understand the problem <laughs> you're trying to solve really until you're digging in and, and learning and asking great questions. But it took us years to build this technology and the world yeah. needed it years ago. So I wish we could have built it faster, um, but it's ultimately a totally different product than it would have been yeah. had we built it. So tell ago. me a little bit about how you overcame that challenge of being able to explain what it is before it's built then, because yeah. um, I'd imagine you, you know, <laughs> you needed to have somebody supporting it, whether that's, on the uh, investment side or debt equity side or uh, but also on the early adopters, the beta alpha testers and so on. Right. So so how did you overcome that challenge, that communication challenge of creating something kind of new that is outside of the box in terms of what other people understood? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I'm not sure that yeah. I've overcome it yet, Lance, but I'm still working on it. Um, and uh, and it's really um you know, it's constant iteration, right? And so the way that we um, approach that is, is we ultimately went after non-dilutive funding, because that was obviously during the pandemic, there was many more opportunities for non-dilutive funding, because these systemic problems became so mm. clear to people. So we were very fortunate to access um, some technology funding, being a Canadian tech company, um, you know, our program, I mean, Americans are just blown away at the level of, of government um, support we have for innovative technology, you know, IRAP and, and, uh, and, and various granting programs and all of that. We really, we really accessed a lot of that programming. Um, we put in a lot of our own money to fund um, this particular project. We had early um, uh, friends and family investors. So right before that pandemic, we had raised a small amount of capital from friends and family. And we really worked hard to make that last to a point where, you know, we're constantly doing customer discovery and really learning about the problems in, um, in our ecosystem as we're building the technology, but it was, it was years in the making and it was really, um, there was many times, um, and there still are many times where I'm like, where is that next yeah. thing going to come yeah. from? I got no idea here. You know, how are we going to figure out the next step in the journey? And I think that getting comfortable with that, like I mentioned earlier, 
of, you know, I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what sometimes when I'm stepping one foot in front of the other, um, where I'm going to step, what I'm going to step into. And, um, and that's the reality of, of doing this kind of work. And it's very uncomfortable. And I, you know, have a tremendous amount of family support. I'm doing this work with my husband, who is my co-founder and my partner. We have a tremendous amount of uh, support now from investors and partners and those early partners. I had, I had excellent mentors and advisors. Um, I really tapped into my community Hmm. and my network because I had so many amazing people around me that, and again, this is part of why Inkly needs to exist in the world is I was really fortunate to be surrounded by entrepreneurs and people who had done this before in some capacity. So I had I had people I could call and say, hey, what did you do? Where did you go? And um, yeah. many people don't have that. And so that's yeah. really what Inkly yeah. is. Love for. it. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious in terms of, you know, where you're at now with the business. I know that uh, you're just starting to onboard some clients today, essentially, right? Like in the very recently, right? And so obviously there's lots of development when you're talking about tech startups that have to happen. um, And that takes time and effort and resources and so on. So what is the business model then for Inkly uh, Mm -hmm. going forward? Where are you getting your revenue? Yeah, well, yeah. we're not getting near enough yeah. of it yet, but we will be. Um, and uh, yeah, so our original business model of solving this social problem of um, lack of access to um, equitable opportunities for learning and work. Um, ultimately, all of our connections come from our social capital and our inherited networks. And that is incredibly inequitable. And that's that's the real social problem we're trying to solve. But we wanted to build a sustainable um, and scalable business model. Um, and that was, you know, a lot of research to figure out what's the business case for serving this very real social problem. And that's corporate volunteerism. And so we did a lot of work in, in early days, um, interviewing a lot of big enterprise companies and understanding their challenges around corporate volunteerism. And um, the reality today that started to evolve throughout the pandemic is that these corporate volunteerism programs are looking for opportunities to scale volunteerism across remote and geographically mm-hmm. dispersed workforces. Um, and that's incredibly challenging when you have thousands of thousands of employees, these companies are looking for opportunities to volunteer that are skills-based using the skills we have um, is much more engaging than um, other activities that don't use the skills that we have and the knowledge that we have. Um, And they're ultimately looking for volunteerism opportunities that are also virtual and micro that they can access from anywhere. So our technology is designed so that enterprise employees can participate in volunteerism on a virtual platform. You know, we handle all of the reporting and outcomes and volunteerism hours and measurement and all of that um, for ESG reporting. Um, And that's the core of our original business model. But as you and I briefly chatted about, too, we had a bit of a plot twist (laughs) during the pandemic where, as many startups do, where it didn't create a pivot, but it created an entirely new use case for our product um, using our technology internally to share knowledge between employees in the same way that they would share knowledge with external stakeholders um, through volunteerism programs. And so our customers identified that use case that has only grown throughout the pandemic. And so our, we have a SaaS business model. And so customers pay for access per seat for their employees. 
Um, and we can actually create both environments where you can use our technology internally, um, but you can also use it for skills-based volunteerism. And both of those things can exist simultaneously. So, so is it platform. a subscription model based off of a, a user a rate per user or something? Or how, how does that work? Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a subscription model, a monthly yeah. cost per user, um, and uh, and we're also developing a new um, pricing model because we have customers like Rainforest Alberta um, that is running a pilot across the province of Alberta to support founders and newcomers and students with wayfinding in the mm. innovation ecosystem. And that's a different model. Um, and we are looking at ways that we can democratize access to our technology for not-for-profits not and organizations that are looking to solve real social problems. So we're working with them to develop a bit of a different pricing model that um, allows them to scale to the hundreds of thousands of people that will need Oh, very interesting. So now, what do you think is going to be the keys to your success, say, in the next three years? So the roadmap that you have in front of you right now, what has to happen in order for you to get there in three years yeah. time? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, that's a really good question. I think, uh, well, a couple of things have to happen. Um, one, um, it really, we really are kind of flipping the script on, on volunteerism, that volunteerism doesn't have to look only the traditional ways that it's looked. It's a bit of a disruption yeah. in that sense that um, typically volunteerism is, um, you know, pro bono projects and, you know, we're picking up garbage, we're giving blood, we're doing these things as a team, which are awesome. And nobody should stop doing those things. However, they aren't accessible to everyone. They aren't engaging to everyone. Um, and less than 30% of people in organizations um, actually volunteer on behalf of their, their organization. And there are many reasons for that. But accessibility is a big one. If you are a remote worker or you're in a remote location, um, or you have varied abilities that don't allow you to go pick up garbage and, and do those kinds of things that are more physical um, and your skills and interests just don't align with those kinds of opportunities, or you aren't in senior leadership in an organization where you're getting you know, the opportunity to go and do these, these um, really time-intensive pro bono projects. All those things are great. We are really democratizing that so that all levels of the organization can participate um, and everyone has access. And so it ultimately needs to be true that um, people are ready and willing to embrace a new form of volunteerism that um, does not negate the old form of volunteerism, but instead creates more more value, more opportunity, and um, more engagement across uh, broader yeah, audiences. Yeah, and so in terms of yeah. your team um, and what you think is going to be the challenges to, to, that you're going to have to overcome. Can you speak to some of those challenges? Yeah. That oh, you're yeah. going to face and, and, and how you think that you are going to be There's able to overcome. So Absolutely. I think it's always, um, every startup, um, particularly in tech, this real chicken and egg dynamic of you need money to get customers. Yeah. You need customers yeah. to get money. <laughs> it's kind of the most simple, um, way that I always kind of describe that. And, you know, so far, how we've overcome that um, is a being super resourceful and scrappy and using everything we've got to, you know, sort of overcome that, but also aligning ourselves with the right investors and the right partners. Um, I just was on a call with our lead investors in our in our pre-seed round today, um, talking about some of these challenges of, of, you know, we have 
a few more months. We have a lot of big customers in our pipeline and, and a few more months to like land some of those customers before we raise our next round of capital. And if we didn't have the support of the partners and investors that we have now who are going, yeah, okay, we can see what you're doing over here. We can see the traction, even though there may not be a contract in hand from this customer yet. Um, we see what's going on. We believe you. We trust you. We're listening. We're talking to you on a regular basis. We see the progress you're making. Um, and those partnerships are absolutely critical. We would never be where we are if we hadn't had the support of very values aligned investors and partners from the get go. And I see our path to success is to continue to build really strong relationships like that, be very transparent and open, ask for help when we need it, um, because this is not easy and nobody sort of, quote unquote, crosses the chasm from where we were a year ago to, you know, where we're where we're headed without a lot of support, a lot of advice, yeah. a lot of mentorship. And um, I'm the, I, I've gotten yeah, really good yeah, at asking. Yeah, and that's that's key. I, I think it really truly is. And, and this is one of the things that I hear repeated over and over again by a lot of the guests that I've I've spoken to. And, and uh, it's just, uh, it's one of those things where I think until you start to ask for help, you don't realize how much help is out there, how many people are willing to give it and give it freely. Like it, it is really quite amazing. It is a, a great ecosystem. I think the entrepreneurial community uh, has created for us if we want to tap into it. Absolutely. And I think that's the, that's the real, you, you, you said the magic words there, yeah. if we want to tap into it and it requires that, um, a is why we're doing this pilot in Alberta is I think we need better tools, but at the end of the day, we need, um, safer spaces to vulnerably admit that we need help and ask for that help. And we need to create those environments as much as we possibly can, where people like me can feel safe putting up their hand and saying, you know what? I don't have all the answers or I screwed up or I have no idea what to do here. Yeah, Could somebody right. help me out? Because there is just no way that one single person, just because you call yeah, yourself the CEO yeah. of the organization does yeah. not mean you have all the answers. Um, so it's pretty critical that you're asking for help when you need it. And that's so not always easy. I'd like to take this a little bit more to the personal level. And I'm really curious because you are a lifelong entrepreneur. You've been, uh, you know, in lots of different ventures and whatnot and, and a really exciting one currently here. But um, with that comes that lifestyle, work-life balance, all that stuff. And so I'm curious in your mind, what makes the entrepreneurial lifestyle difficult for entrepreneurs? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I really do embrace the idea that you are the work. Yeah. And so it can feel like you are working all the time on the business and in the business. And then you're like, oh, and then I got to do all this work on myself. <laughs> so like it can be really um, draining and exhausting. So yeah, on the, on the personal side, I think it's, um, you know, yeah. it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> um, I don't recommend it for everyone. Um, I have been an entrepreneur my entire adult life. And, and before I met my husband, I was raising a child by myself. And there was times where that was way more challenging than it is now um, in terms of, you know, the financial aspects of it, of making those kinds of choices, not necessarily knowing where your yeah. paychecks are always coming from, all those kinds of things. Um, so, yeah, it's a real um, it's a really difficult um, journey, but I think that it, again, for the kind of person that is 
really deeply invested in learning. Um, I always say there's, you know, there's only successes in learning. There's no failure. So when, when I fall on my face, um, it's like such a tremendous opportunity to learn. And when you are in those positions, I think from a, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is, but certainly internally for me, that's the thing that helps me get through the really crappy times where you're, you know, laying people off in a pandemic and, you know, doing those things that are just not fun at all. Um, the job that's really really hard and yeah i remind myself in those moments like this is this is okay this isn't a success so it's clearly time for learning yeah, well, that, that's the truth isn't it there's a learning moment in everything whether it's on the success side or on the struggle side right there's there's lots of learnings there and and speaking yeah. of that i mean i would uh i'd love it if you could um think about if you had that opportunity to send a letter back in time to your younger entrepreneurial self what would you tell yourself? What would be in that letter? Oh, man. <laughs> That'd be a really long letter. It'd probably be a novel. <laughs> yeah. I'd write myself a novel. <laughs> and it would start with, don't grow up, it's a trap. And uh, the, rest, the rest of it would, uh, yeah. would ensue from there. Um, but at the end of the day, I think what what would be in that novel is a little bit about what I talked about earlier, that you know, I really believed when I was younger that these people that were older than me and had these cool, interesting careers and, you know, seemed yep. to have it all together. I really yeah. believed they had it together. And then you get to a certain point in your adult journey where you're like, oh God, all these people that I thought were so successful and had it all together. Sure. They have a few things together, but they're just as scared and uncertain and, you know, learning like the rest of us. Some people just manage to make it look really glossy and smooth, but it doesn't matter who you are. You don't get to escape it. And so, I think I that is the one thing that I say a lot to young people. I'm sure my kids are tired of hearing it, um, but it's it's very much the thing that always sticks with me that I know now, like, and I don't just know it um, intellectually. I am like deeply aware of the fact that that is true. And it is so much more comforting to walk through the world knowing that everybody else is feeling that way too, and being open and vulnerable about it and having these kinds of conversations and sharing that with other people, not only it makes you feel better about the fact that it's not just you, um, but it creates connection because everybody is like, yes, oh, yes, me too, you know, and then you can have a real conversation and it really breaks down barriers yeah, because we're yeah, all very human. good. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and sharing, you know, all the things that you're doing and the advice that you have uh, bestowed upon our listeners here today. I really appreciate it. And I know that those who are listening are going to get a lot out of it. And if there was um, an opportunity for somebody to connect with you uh, at some point to learn more about Inkly or to, to connect with you one-on-one, it, what would be the best way to do that? Yeah. Um, LinkedIn is great. Um, Rebecca at Inkly.com, I-N-Q-L-I. Anybody can send me an email. I'm always happy to connect with, with other entrepreneurs. That's the, that's the name of the game. We're all in this together. We're all, we're all the crazy ones. Excellent. So we got to well, stick together. Thank you so much. And for those of you who are listening to this episode and really enjoyed it and want to listen to some other entrepreneurial stories, you can find our full archive over at amplifyyourbusiness.ca, as well as searching on your favorite podcasting platform, Amplify Your Business. Until next time, everybody, Everybody have a prosperous day.